0: a dose of hope.com. Today's guest is Billy Keels. Billy is just a regular guy from a middle-class family from Columbus, Ohio, who grew up knowing nothing about investing. When he started to become successful, he had no idea how to invest his high salary. He was too embarrassed to ask because he felt like he should have already known. Billy was faking it in front of colleagues when they talked about accredited investors. But from that point on, he gave himself the challenge of learning everything he could about all the things money and investing. His mission was to turn his high wages into financial freedom. Eight years later, he achieved it. He created a monthly passive income that met all of his expenses, and he no longer had to work if he didn't want to. Now his mission is to guide you to your own freedom. Billy Keels and Robert talk about his journey, which includes tons of travel and culture, working with elite Fortune 50 company leaders. While he learned languages and cultures, he hadn't learned about money even though he was making a bunch of it. He committed himself to learn about money, and now he wants to talk about money to help others learn. We definitely need to make it okay to talk about money. Well, Billy, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm just so excited to to have this conversation. You know, we met a while back and, and just had such a fun conversation. I want to share it with the world, so.
1: Fantastic. Well, Robert, I am very much looking forward to having another awesome conversation. This time, I guess there's a lot of people listening and watching us. So I'll be on my best behavior, I think.
0: All right. Well, we're counting on you. <laughs>
1: all right. All right. I'll do that.
0: You just gotta keep being an example for those two young men you're raising.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I get that reminder all the time, all the time. And it's that's one of the things I actually absolutely love. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about my little guys. So um, but yes, I will I'll be on my best behavior today.
0: All right. So I usually start each episode just letting my guests share their journey and what brought them into entrepreneurship. And obviously you've got a really cool journey. At least I think it's really cool. I, I know that a lot of other people would appreciate, you know, the, the, the variety of opportunities that you had and what opened doors for you to travel and to choose to live overseas.
1: Yeah, man. So there's a. will try to keep this as succinct as possible. Um, The one thing that if it's okay with you, Robert, I did want to ask one thing just very quickly, and I know we're getting to know one another here, me and the audience. But I know that you happen to spend a lot of time and energy being able to bring a very high quality uh, podcast to everyone. And so if you have not had a chance yet to leave an honest written review as well as a rating uh, for the podcast, when you do that for Robert, it's going to also help him to attract other amazing podcast guests so that you get exactly what you need so that you can continue to add more value to your life. And so uh, if you haven't done that, just take a couple seconds to do that. Um, And with that, I guess stated, yeah, I mean, I've been very fortunate in in my life, Robert, and I know we talked about this before, but originally from Columbus, Ohio, although I now and have lived in Europe for the last 21 years, uh, most recently living here in Barcelona, Spain. So Barcelona, I know you also have had the opportunity to live in in Spanish speaking countries and things like that. But, you know, I got to Europe starting in Columbus. And by the time I was 12, we had lived in Ohio, Colorado, and Texas. And the way that I grew up, my brother and sisters were born in Colorado. So I was born in Ohio. We then moved to Colorado. They were there. Uh, My parents were, neither one of them have a formal education. Uh, They both worked two jobs when they were growing up, multiple jobs. And the thing that they knew was how to work really really hard and they also were made a lot of sacrifices for me and my brother and sister so that we always had access to very good education so a lot of times we were living in the right school district but my parents were the ones that were working multiple jobs while other people's parents were dad was working or mom was working and dad wasn't and the others and so i saw a lot of things that were fantastic i had access to a lot of visually but i didn't i couldn't my parents couldn't afford it so that was a challenge right and but what it also provided me was this desire to continue to work hard like my parents worked hard so that i would be able to achieve well i also mentioned that we got to texas my parents also started having marital problems They and they separated got back together separated got back together eventually they separated and we me and my brother and sister went back to ohio and my dad stayed in texas eventually they reconciled again uh, but they also eventually divorced. And and the reason I tell that is because one of the things that I believe happened was their inability to have the same kind of understanding of currency or money. Most people would say, I like to call it currency sometimes. In, in making difficult decisions, like do you pay this bill at the end of the month or do you pay the other bill at the end of the month and not really having an education and understanding how to talk about money mm-hmm. was one of the things that really led to their relationship demise, right? They're fantastic. They're both fantastic parents and give us a lot of love and attention, things like that. But when you grow up in that type of an environment, you see things that are, are challenging. You see the stress that, that currency can cause, that money can cause. Uh, but when all these things were happening, I was really driven Went to was able to go to uh, college, I ended up getting two degrees. Um, along the way, I had this dream job that I wanted to get. I actually applied for the same job twice because I have two degrees. The first year I, I thought I was going to get this great job. I went to Miami of Ohio, which is in the southwest of Ohio. And the dream job was to work at Procter & Gamble. And i went there i'm an a student right i'm today i call myself a recovering perfectionist but you know when you get the great grades and you do all the study you get the great grades you get this it's kind of this self-fulfilling prophecy well i did that through college and so i thought well everybody said you're going to work at this great company and so i thought that was going to happen well that didn't actually happen got rejected the first time then went overseas for the very first time in my life in 1995. came back got a second degree so this time i had overseas experience i was starting to speak another language i had a second degree And I thought, wow, this dream job is going to be mine. So I went back, applied again, went through the process, got rejected again. Completely just devastated emotionally. But right before that, I had this really, really good friend, one of my best friends today. He lived in St. Louis, Missouri. And he told me about this job of these people that were traveling around the world. It was right before the 1996 Olympics. And there were like 6,000 people that applied for this role. I was one of 26 people that got the job. And I was working with Fortune 500 CEOs. And their direct reports when they traveled around the world, whether they were business trips or leisure trips. And in five years, Robert, I had the opportunity to work and travel throughout some 58 countries. Mm -hmm. So that completely changed the way that I viewed the world, the way that I thought about the world, the things that I thought were right, because that was the way that I grew up. I started realizing, well, hang on a second. Other people are getting similar or the same results doing it a different way. And I was challenged to do that. And then afterwards, I didn't see myself going like to a normal nine to five job.
0: And so I decided,
1: yeah, yeah. so it was like, well, hang on a second, I'm doing all this stuff and this is amazing. I'm 26 years old and hang on a second. I don't want to go and live in a cubicle. So I did a one-year sabbatical and I was accepted at university in Paris in the Sorbonne. I went there to learn French language and culture. Uh, I want to learn how to salsa dance and I want to learn more about wine. And so those three things, they're combined. I don't know why. I kind of jokingly tell people like I, I drank wine in the evening and that helped my salsa dancing. And so that was one of the things that also helped my French. To kind of speed things up, I eventually got into the IT space. I worked in the hardware space. Um, I then eventually moved into software where I was living and working in south of France. They also sent me to Italy to start up a sales team. And then I right before I left, I met this woman from Spain and she didn't go to Italy. She actually moved back to Spain. When I got back from Italy, I moved back to France and eventually she didn't want to come to France. So I moved to Spain. And so I've been living in Spain. For the last, well, I moved here in July of 2005. So do the math whenever you're listening to this, because I'll probably still be here and um, ended up getting married uh, in September of 2008. Our first son was born in October of 2009, our second son in in, uh, May of 2011. And so I kind of jokingly tell people, that even though you come from a very middle class background, you have the opportunity to do and see a lot of things. But when you do that one year sabbatical, you kind of really have to be careful because that one year sabbatical can turn into four additional languages that you learn, three countries, a marriage, two children. Well, and 21 years later, you're still on your one year sabbatical. So that's a little bit about my my life. I guess the only other thing that's really relevant at this point is recently, and I, I know you know this, um, I have been fortunate to separate from the multinational because I've worked for big market leading software companies, enterprise software companies. And I'm no longer there. I'm now focusing on building my own business and f- serving uh, our clients. And I'm just in a very, very fortunate place now after nine years of kind of working two jobs at the same time. And here we are. So that's a little bit more that's a little bit about me and looking forward to uh continuing the conversation and digging in.
0: Yeah. So Obviously, man, there's just a ton in in your story. And I think one of the things that seems to pop up an awful lot is this conversation about money and Mm -hmm. understanding of of how to talk about money. And I think Mm -hmm. I'm more and more convinced that it's impacting large communities. It's impacting large generations. It's it's impacting um, entire neighborhoods, entire communities. Because we've got a whole group, groups, groups of people that have been told we're not supposed to talk about money. Yeah, And and I've come to recognize that the number one thing the wealthy do when they get in a room together is they talk about money and they talk about their deals. They talk about the interest rates. They talk about the fees they talk about. And so there's this there's this group of people that are afraid to ask their neighbors, you know, how much are they paying for the mortgage? They're afraid to ask what's the bank charging you. And some of them are being abused. Some of them are being, are paying extra fees and extra things that, that most of us aren't paying. And the only way they're going to find out is if they're willing to talk about it. And so we've got to, we've got to let people know that a, it's okay to talk about money. In fact, it's really cool to talk about money. (laughs) Once you get past that little, bump in your mind, um, talking about money should be exciting. It should be good. It should be. And, and, and of course the power that has in relationships, because you you recognize that that's what destroyed or, you know, was a big hurdle for your parents' relationship. So let's talk about money.
1: Yeah, man. I, you know, and it's, you know, that I use the example of my parents, but it happens in many relationships. And when you grow up, like I grew up, money was a bad subject because in my home it was not a it wasn't something like when you don't have it you don't want to talk about it and so what it made me realize is that you can't avoid it is that you have to lean into it and so as i've gone from someone who's comes from a very middle-class family to someone who is now uh, and i don't want to use a lot of language i know your, your your audience knows but someone who is an accredited investor today i've actually lived very different lives. And I consider myself to be very fortunate because I know what it's like to not want to talk about money. And then I know what it's also like to be in rooms with groups of people who are accredited investors and not feel comfortable about being able to ask questions because I didn't grow up that way. But the more you realize that many people are there to, to your point, to really help to educate you because, well, they've already been in a position where they are succeeded and they're really looking to help others to be able to move forward. Um, like I feel very fortunate in that way that I've been very uncomfortable in lots of different situations, which today helps me to be much more comfortable and much more willing to talk about currency or money uh, as most people, most people would call it. So yeah, I'd love to talk about it. One of my favorite subjects nowadays. I'm a, I'm, and I am a student who is continuing to learn uh, about money.
0: Well, and that's, and that's the thing is if you're willing to talk about it, then you're willing to learn about it. You're willing to listen. You're willing to ask and and i think that can be challenging for so many people and and some people just need the permission other people might need the encouragement to get in the right room
1: yeah
0: right and and be willing to to be in that room and feel a little awkward in the beginning but like everybody here's talking about money mm. and it's different right when you first step into a room where everybody's talking about money and 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 yeah for me, the first time I was in a room like that and my eyes were like, they're talking about amounts of money that that are just unheard of, you know, for me, because a I came from the same middle class families as you did. And, and 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 until and even in ministry, you know, our church's annual budget, you know, was a million and a half. And so that mm-hmm. was a That was the biggest amount of money. And, and now these guys are talking about, oh, well, here's a million and a half today for this deal.
1: Yeah. not a 30-year
0: yeah. not a 30-year mortgage or a 30-year note right? right like they're 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 doing transactions where each guy's putting in half a million <laughs> to yeah. make it to make a deal go down yeah. um it it's a very different thing but yeah. it's incredible how open they are about their deals and and the price they paid and the interest and the interest they're earning not the interest they're paying right <laughs> um yeah, yeah. you know it and it's it's just We need to be okay talking about money.
1: Yeah. You know, and it's one of those things. So I, and not to make any assumptions. So earlier I, and it's just some, many times it's just being very transparent about things. So accredited investor, Robert, you would not be, you, or you would be surprised the number of high paid software sales executives, which is the area the life that I come from, or most recently have come from uh, doctors frequently speaking to doctors, uh, lawyers, um, speaking to high paid consultants um have recently started working with uh, people that are in professional sports pr- franchises uh, and when you talk about accredited investors you say well okay well that's not for me because you're not familiar with the language and mm-hmm. really what that means and so someone who's an accredited investor very simply is there's really three criteria. There's more than that, but three main criteria. One won't really talk about because it has more to do with like credit, uh, credentials, certifications, accreditations, like the series seven, series 65 or series 82. You can take a test and become an accredited investor, which many people don't know. Um, The other two main criteria that most people talk about is income or net worth. And so you are an accredited investor. If you are someone who has, Um, generated $200,000 of income the previous two years and are reasonably expected to do that this year. Or as a couple that you've generated $300,000 for the previous two years and are expected to do the same thing this year. That's based on income. If you meet those criteria and speak to your, your CPA and things like that, right? I'm not giving anybody any kind of advice. I'm just saying these are the things that I know because what you and I want to talk about is money. And sometimes it's about understanding definitions. The other is you can be an accredited investor if your net worth individually or as a couple is a million dollars or more, not including the your primary residence. So if you have a million dollars of net worth and assets, not including your primary residence, you are also an accredited investor. And the reason I share that is because sometimes when you don't have the education or you don't have the access, then you feel uncomfortable about talking about money. And because one of the things that you and I wanted to be able to do today is talk about money. We want to make sure that at least we all have the same understanding of what an accredited investor is. It's not this person that's like sitting in this place. And a lot of people today are accredited investors and they never even knew it. Mm-hmm. And the reason that's important is it, gain, it gives you access to types of opportunities that can really help you to pretty much accelerate getting to the lifestyle that you truly want instead of consistently trading time for dollars, which is the which is what happens to most of us, 90 plus percent of us. So hopefully Absolutely. that's okay to, to kind of break that down a little bit.
0: No. And, and let's go, let's, so let's go a little deeper into that idea. You mentioned lawyers, uh, professional sports players, and and so many of those people now and athletes have started to diversify, right? The majority of their mm-hmm. income for the, for at least big names comes from endorsement deals and not from their contract. And, mm-hmm. and so that's, that would be diversification, right? Add, adding an, an extra stream of income, but mm-hmm. typically a lawyer, a doctor, a dentist, you know, they're, they're trading hours for dollars and, and creating a single stream of revenue, but typical in, in most any business, a single stream of revenue is not going to create wealth. It's not going to generate, um, it's not putting your money to work for you. It's working for your money. Right. And it's okay to work for your money, but then you need to take that money and let that money work for you. And, and that's where the transition really happens is creating multiple vehicles, mm-hmm. right? So, yep. so the idea of getting rich from your job, it, I, I don't know if, if that idea was just, you know, it's kind of like college, right? Go to college, get a good job, get a good income. That, that was kind of the, the idea. But, yep. but really it needs to be, you know, get an education of some sort, right? Even trade yep. school, earn the income, but then use the income yep. <laughs> for something else. Put it to work rather than use it for your lifestyle.
1: That's correct. Yeah, and and you know, it's one of those things where in in part of the, the the evolution that has taken place is when I I used to think because once again, I used to think where where I came from, I thought that saving when you had money left in your bank account at the end of the month, I thought that was investing. Mm-hmm. Right? And so conceptually thought, okay, well, listen, if you just got through the end of the month, you have extra money, you're investing. Well, later on, I realized that that's not investing. That's just saving money. That's your rainy day fund. That's things that you have eventually. But once you have your reserves or your savings covered, then the other money you want to make work. And so what I used to think was, how do I put as much of my money in my 401k, my IRA, because I'm planning for retirement, because that's the thing that I used to do. Um, And I did that once. And in 2000, the dot-com bubble happened. I lost relatively uh, important part of my portfolio. But then eight years later, after I did something called DCA, dollar cost averaging. So I was putting kind of like putting the same amount of money every two weeks out of my paycheck into these 401ks and IRAs. Well, in 2008, eight years later, it gotten beyond where it was in 2000. But then this time between 2008, 2009, I lost 33% of the value of my portfolio. Hmm. I don't come for money, I had no control and it freaked me out. So I started saying like, what else can I do? Because I'm working really hard, I'm an A student, I'm doing all the things that I'm supposed to be doing, I'm getting in the top talent program, I'm, getting, you know, I'm doing the things, I'm getting the promotions, I'm getting the raises, but I don't have any control over the things outside of my, my, my 401k my IRA. So I started looking at something else and that's when I understood that I needed to find another vehicle to get to my destination, which was feeling comfortable, having freedom. And that vehicle just happened to be for me, real estate. Uh, I also am a big believer and one of the things that I've learned by being around people that are very wealthy is there, as long as you know your North Star and you know where you want to go, there are multiple vehicles that will get you there. Hmm. There is not one vehicle that gets you anywhere. Let me give you an example. I live in Barcelona, Spain, let's say I want to get to Columbus, Ohio, right? So I have multiple choices to get to Columbus. I can get on a plane and I can make a nonstop flight from Barcelona to Columbus. That doesn't, that flight doesn't exist, but it's just an example, right? So that's one, I can get there directly. And if I like planes, if I'm comfortable with flying planes, that's a pretty direct route. If I'm not comfortable with planes, it's going to be probably the longest 10 hours of my life. And I may not be comfortable with that at all. There's another option. I could actually leave my home. I could get on a bicycle. I could ride it to the train station here in Barcelona. I could go from the train station by the metro out to the airport. I can get to the airport or sorry, from the train station. I'll take the train from here to Madrid. Once I get to Madrid, I get out, I get in a car and I go from Madrid to Lisbon. And then from Lisbon, I get on a boat and I go from Lisbon to New York City. And then when I get on there, I get on a skateboard and I go from the skateboard from New York to Columbus. I may feel very comfortable with those different vehicles. It takes a little idea, longer, though. It takes a little longer. Right. But the whole point is there is no one way to get to the destination. If you know the destination, you have to use the vehicles that are available that you feel the most comfortable with. And that's what I started learning the more and more that I became a student or I am a student of money. And I started realizing like, okay, well, what are really wealthy people doing? Like, I know what it was like to be in a household where you're just working, 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 you're working more hours like you talked about in the beginning, but that didn't seem like it ever stopped. Like I was doing it when I was working, when I watched my parents, when I was young, I got into that. And then I was surrounded by lots of accredited investors who were doing the exact same thing, highly paid people working in the software sales industry that were also trading time for money. You're making more money. But the other thing that I started realizing that really wealthy people think about is the taxes and what happens when you're working more hours, you're making more money and your single source of income is your job. Well, W-2 income is probably the highest or not probably is the highest taxed income. And so it's just a different way to think about how you truly can get to the personal freedom that you're wanting because we live in a world where there is currency is kind of the base of that and you need it in order to live. You have to define what is the personal way that you, your family, you design that lifestyle, and then make sure that you're using the right vehicles to be able to get you to the destination, the vehicles that you feel the most comfortable with.
0: Well, you mentioned a couple of things and they're really good. But the first is the idea for many, money was the end game, mm-hmm. right? I think for my parents and maybe for your parents, money was the end game. And and it was make enough money to to take care of the family, and then even make enough money to, to retire, to fill to fill the 401k so that, that they can they could retire comfortably. And but that was it.
1: Yep.
0: Right. And, and for me, looking back on on my dad and, and my dad did a great job. He's he's he, he he did exactly that. He accomplished exactly that that goal and he's got enough resources that he could live to a hundred and and it'll still be covered, right? That's the idea, okay. right? You go to your financial advisor and he pulls out that little software program and it says, you know, you need to save up this much so you can maintain your lifestyle until what, whatever age that that you determine.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's that's the typical, you know, the I think that's whatever percentage of people are actually saving and investing that's the model that that they're using and it's a pretty small percentage that goes to another level and says wait a minute can i make that money work better or harder or or diversify in and, and and it doesn't have to necessarily be like you mentioned you know there's multiple vehicles right real estate is one right fix and flips for a while were were a big thing now the prices are so crazy maybe fix and flips aren't necessarily a thing but but multifamily, I know you. You and I are both friends with Jerome, and and he helps yep. educate yep. people into getting into multifamily investments and yep. and you know different different vehicles. You know, creating rental properties, creating um, tax liens is is another place. I mean, I, there's yep. just lots and lots of vehicles. But you simply have to be aware that the dollar's not the end game.
1: Correct, and it is about it is about what is the lifestyle that you want to live. And I say this from a place of humility, because once again, I don't come from money. I've seen what it's like to watch parents struggle financially, lots of love, but what it's like to, you know, the, the answer is work more hours. That's Hmm. the answer. And you start to realize that it's not about being able to work more hours. It's not about being able to make more money. You have to make money to pay the bills, of course, You also want to be able to have the special moments with your children when they're young, right? Even if it's 15 minutes of quality time and not worry about the stresses of what's happening at your job on a day-to-day basis, you want to know that you're in a place that is safe, that you are able to get a quality education. The things that my parents did as well, Uh, because that's, that's not related to money, but it's related to quality of life. You want to be able to travel with your family, show them, create experiences. Those are the things you need money for those, but you're really those are the outcomes that you're looking for. And so when there's a tendency and I fell into this trap, when you don't come from money, you think that money is the answer. But money is just a tool. It is a vehicle to get you to the destination, to get you to the desired outcome. And then when you start to understand and learn how it works, that's when you. Can really start to move the needle. Like, and I'm, I'll give you another example, right? Because one of the things that I see a lot with, um, and there is, like I said, there is no one perfect vehicle. But as I work with lots of accredited investors today, right, the people that we talked about earlier, there's a very different mindset when you you when you're working with with someone that that is there. But that also, and even if you're not there, just getting the insight into the way that they're thinking, it also helps you as you start to move forward. For instance, one of the biggest things when I'm speaking to people who are credit investors and high net worth individuals, they're thinking about very different things. You talked about they're thinking about money, but normally one of the very first things that they're thinking about is what is my situation? Because I know that this year, Uncle Sam, the IRS is going to look at things that I do between January 1st and December 31st. So I'm not interested in just making more money. I want to keep more money. That's the thing that wealthy people are thinking about how do I keep more of what I make? And so sometimes when you're looking at, and this is just a very tactical example, sometimes you're looking at different opportunities and whether that's the mutual funds or it's uh, real estate or it's whatever you think, okay, I'm going to get this great 8% return, 6% return, 10% return. And that's great during that calendar year, but wealthy people tend to think, okay, well I'm paying 37% in my federal tax plus my state tax. Now you may live in a state that doesn't have state income tax, but what if I could actually minimize where I'm paying the highest amount of tax? It's just the focus. Like some people focus on how do I make a 6% return? And other people are thinking about high net worth, accredited, accredited investors. They're thinking about how do I keep more of the tax money? Because that's a tax, that's a bill that I'm gonna have to pay anyway. So if I can go from 37%, to 27%, that's 10% that I'm keeping or 37%, to many people that are in that space are maybe paying little to no tax. So you're keeping 37%. That's a bill that you would have to pay anyway. But it's just a different mindset. It's just a different way to think about things because yes, it's not necessarily money directly in your pocket, but that's money you're going to have to pay one way or the other.
0: We will be right back after this short break. This episode is sponsored by the newly released book, Dream Life Planner, Move from Tired and Overwhelmed to Free and Empowered by Noelle L. Peterson, available on Amazon, Or you can order a personalized signed copy at Empower, E-M-P-O-W-E-R, 2Dream.com. That's Empower, number 2, Dream.com. If you enjoy the show, please like and subscribe. Leave a review. Tell your friends. Welcome back. Let's get back to more greatness. The steps I talk about in my book, right, is is A, you got to make it, right? So you got to be able to make money. You got to be able to keep it which is you know lower your tax or, or know what your tax obligations are and, yep. and mitigate them in, in whatever way that, that, that works for you and serves you. Yep. And then, of course, once you start making money and you get to that upper level is you've got to be able to protect it and put it in places where, where unscrupulous people and unscrupulous lawyers can't try to take it from you um, for mm-hmm. you know, meaningless reasons.
1: Yep. Yeah, yeah, and it's a reality. That's, that's part of it and having a really strong team. That's another thing that I notice, right? When you're getting started, and it's just normal. When I got started, I didn't know I, because I was on. I was afraid to talk about things and seem like I didn't know what I was talking about. Rather than leaning into that and saying I don't know what I'm talking about and figure out who could help me to start to learn, um, you, you then start to see by when you start, you're by yourself, but later on, you're you're surrounded by a team. Because the team is there to advise you to help you understand what are the pros, what are the, the cons of a particular decision. And ultimately when you run into those types of situations to help you with things like privacy, et cetera, so that you can minimize the 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 impact from you know people that are going to be unscrupulous and things like that.
0: Oh, that's so good. Yeah. So let's let's jump back a little bit and, and it kind of goes along with what you just said about team, but okay. the opportunity that you had over those five years of of travel and mm. and hanging out with these C-Suite people from Fortune 100s, Fortune mm. 50s, um, how did hanging out with those people change you, right? I mean, you know, Jim Rohn talks about the, or maybe it's Wayne Dyer, talks about, you know, you are the, the compilation of the five, five people, people closest to you. But the opportunity to be in the room and be, you know, rubbing elbows, <laughs> as it were, with with these, this high level, what, what impact did that have?
1: Yeah. So there were a couple of things that happened, right? Cause keep in mind, I was 21 to 26. And so I didn't realize how important some of these people were cause I was fresh out of college and I was, you know, I was traveling, staying in five-star hotels and resorts around the world. And you don't realize that someone like John Chambers, who was the CEO of Cisco or, you know, Bill Gates, who was the CEO of, of, of Microsoft or Ken Chenault from American express so not necessarily sitting in the meeting rooms because many of them were confidential and they're with board of directors or things like that, but then you would, I would see them in different places around the world. And so I, number one, I saw them outside of their offices, right? So they weren't around their 50,000, hundred thousand employee companies. They were in Beijing or Buenos Aires or, or one of these places. And when you start to see them multiple places, what I started realizing was they knew my name. They recognized my face. And it was like building a relationship. And it wasn't until probably a couple years in that I started realizing because I was in the airport and I would see their names on the like the faces of the USA Today or the WSJ. And I was like, oh, wow, <laughs> you know, I was like, these there were these really important people. And so what I took away from the interactions was they were normal people just like us. They had conversations with me when they were leaving their business meeting, going to their uh, limo or their drive, their private driver to take them wherever they were going. Um, And they were just normal people. The thing is, at some point in their lives, they'd made decisions that most people don't make to get to the places where they were. I can tell you, I was much closer to the CEOs of those companies during those five years than I was ever to the CEOs of the companies when I was an employee working later on. And you start realizing, wow, having access and insight to these very influential people at such a young age, it gave me a perspective that I was able to appreciate many years later once I started working in one of these really big companies that you don't gain access to these people that easily as easily as I was and talking about their lives and their families and their wives and this kind of stuff. And so it gave me an appreciation. but for me it was really after the fact, Robert, because I didn't realize because I was kind of like in the thralls of it, And later on, I realized how fortunate I was to see they were, I knew that they were making big decisions because the things that they were doing, they always had entourages and things like that. So it gave me a perspective, but I didn't realize how fortunate I was until later. And I also recognized that they are normal people just like us. They just happen to make different decisions to be in the places um, where they were. Now, if I look at where I am today, I know that those are decisions that me personally, I wasn't willing to make because I once I was in a big company, I realized that the difficult decisions that they had to make and the many things that they probably missed because they were focused on something else. And that just for me, it it personally is not really where I want to to or the way that I want to live my life.
0: Nice. So I want to come back to connection, but a couple of times it's come up about designing your life and -hmm. then being able to build your business to support it. So let's let's talk about your ability as an entrepreneur to design the lifestyle that you want and then and then create the business that supports it and not the other way around, why that's so important for you.
1: Yeah, so part of it happened. Um, this is a story I, I've been actually sharing. It's one that I used to be really ashamed of. I didn't share at all. Um, but what I did during my corporate life, it actually is impact, impacting the way that as I now move into this entrepreneurial space that I am designing. I'm still not getting it right yet. But we'll get there. But I remember in my corporate role, I was a young father and it was my oldest son's third birthday. So the night before I didn't sleep very well because I knew that that next morning I had to fly to Frankfurt, Germany. And so my wife and we had a one year old at the time. I woke them up really early in the morning. Um, You can imagine you're kind of disheveled first thing in the morning. You're getting out of bed. Her hair was all over the place and the young son was like moving all over. Um, And I got out of the shower. I went and woke up my three year old because I wanted to give him a hug, a kiss and sing happy birthday. And the thing that and the reason I, I, I used to be ashamed of that is because I felt such an incongruency because I wanted to be that dad, especially the one that was there for those special events. And I was flying on a plane to Frankfurt for his birthday. And the thing that really kind of ate me up, and it's one of those things that I know that I can never get back is that night I was at this dinner. I don't remember the meeting. I don't remember the dinner. I just remember that my wife, my one-year-old and my three-year-old were with my in-laws singing happy birthday and blowing out the candles while I was at this thing in Frankfurt. And so what that did to me is it helped me to go from a lot of the theoretical knowledge, like, Hey, listen, I need to get started. And that's when I was thinking about real estate primarily. And gone from theory to action. And so I started taking action. But the reason for doing that is because I told myself, Robert, I never, ever, ever was going to miss another special event ever because it made me feel so terrible and just like torn apart. And so as I continued through my professional career, like I worked almost 10 years living this double life working in the corporate environment. And like I said, I was in top talent program and it was going to Hawaii every other couple of years because of top achievements and things like that. But I realized that when it was time to the things that were important, I never missed those again because I was starting to put my own, like have my own financial stability. And today, now that I've transitioned out of the corporate life, the thing that I get the most joy of, and it's almost been five and five and a half months. I love being able to just to like walk around the supermarket at 10 o'clock, 1030 by myself on a Tuesday because there's nobody else there because I can do that. I love being able to go to have lunch with my wife and not worry about the phone ringing off the hook because we're just spending time together and talking about life. We were talking about uh, what we're going to do this summer uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, and the thing that I get the probably the biggest joy out of, because I didn't used to do this when I was working in the corporate world is really, sitting down and playing video games, man, playing video games with my sons, Robert. Like that is one of my favorite things because they're at an age now where they're competitive and they're beating me and um, because I didn't play video games ever. And so they were like really good uh, with this kind of stuff. And I use those as examples because sometimes we think about lifestyle design as doing like this amazing stuff and traveling all over the world. I love travel. I started at 58. Today I've traveled to 86 countries. Been very, very fortunate. That's something that is in me. But the, the lifestyle design today is really about how am I utilizing the most valuable asset that I have that anyone has, which is time and using that in a way which is filling my heart because I'm spending time with my family, with my loved ones and, and being able to, to do that. Of course, we have travel together and those are the types of things that we like to do, but it's really designing my life in a way that allows me to utilize or invest the time in the way that makes the most sense to me. And the one thing, Robert, that I have to be really careful of I love this business that I'm building. I love the impact that it's making on or having on other people. I could talk to people forever about the things that they want to do, their goals, their dreams, their desires. What are the things that are keeping them back from that? And how. Our company could potentially help move them forward and get to the personal freedom that they're looking for so that they can spend the time with the people that they love when they want to do it and, and how they want to do it. So today I have to really be careful to not work too much because I love it and it doesn't feel like work, which is ultimately that's the other thing. I'm building this life that I don't ever feel like I need to retire from. <laughs> that's the thing that I'm that I'm enjoying the most.
0: So let's talk about the boundaries that are necessary to to help you, right? And and really what we're talking about is intentionality. Right. And and. You're intentional in choosing what's important and then you're intentional about making your business decisions. And you mentioned that about CEOs and big corporations. Right. Mm. They they've made different decisions and you're choosing to make different decisions and 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 you can be intentional in those decisions or you can be typical person who's you know. Just living living their day in a comfort zone that that keeps them satisfied, maybe, you you know, but, but the truth is they're, they're going to work, they're coming home, they're eating dinner, going to bed, going to work, coming home, eating dinner, going to bed. And, and it seems like there's intentionality in that, but really they've become a drone to the system. And I think you, what makes entrepreneurs different is that they have to be intentional and now they can be intentional. and, And like you say, get caught up in their job and, and neglect the things that are really important or they can by design protect the things that are really important and especially the little things right it's easy mm-hmm. to plan a vacation you know most families can figure out how to get one vacation in every couple of years yeah. but when you can be intentional about having a date night with your wife uh spending birthdays with your kids and you know even you know hey this week we're playing video games but this time this time this time right intentionality can be so important, but to be intentional, you've got to know what's important and and be able to put boundaries around those things.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that you just mentioned, Robert, and it is so true, it's sad and true that so many times you, I was listening on the radio the other day and they were talking about, you know, do you, do you, it was, it's this unique radio station here in Barcelona, but they talk about, are there certain people that you see at the same time every day, but you don't know who their name is? what their name mm. is, but you kind of say hello. Cause at the same time of day, you are getting out of the, out of the car at the parking lot at your office. And so what it made me think of is something that you just said, and you see this so often when you are in like that corporate wheel is that you're just, you get up at the same time every day, you put your shoes on at the same time, you're brushing your teeth at the same time, you're walking out the door at the same time. And it's almost like your brain is on autopilot. And it's to your point that you're, are you actually going through the motions or are you being intentional about what you're doing? Hmm. And sometimes depending on where you are in life, you may have to do that, but sometimes it's also okay. If you go to, to your job, for instance, every single day, the same route, you're not doing anything differently. What difficult, like how difficult would it be instead of turning right, right, left, that you turn right, left, left, right. Just to change the things and be more, get your brain activated and make sure that you are intentionally changing the direction because once again, you want to get to the outcome, the destination. There's not just one way to get there every single day. Or maybe instead of leaving the house at a certain time, you leave five minutes before. Change the view of the way that things are happening. Um, Those are just like, could you said that to me and it just made me think of that conversation I was listening to on the radio.
0: Tony Robbins talks about, you know, brushing your teeth with the opposite hand. I, I did something just this last week. I started putting my car key in a different pocket and it sounds, it sounds so simple and trust me, it's not. Put your car key in the opposite pocket for a week and see how often you end up putting it back in the other one, because you just, it's challenging.
1: Because you do it by, it's just like this automatic reflex. You're just doing it without, without thinking. I, I love that idea. You know, I, I share this other thing that, Um, because it, it was, I felt happy about it. And it was one of the things that my wife said she was happy too. Like I, I took our youngest to school the other day and I just thought like, I really had a great time. We had a great weekend uh, with the kids. Um, we were, we were by ourselves for a while and nanny was gone for a while. And so I just had a really great bonding time with my wife and kids. And so when I dropped our oldest son off, I thought, you know what, I just want to go get her a flower like just today, just this morning. So I went to the florist that was just down the street, got a nice little bouquet of of rose of flowers. Maybe they were roses. Yeah, they were roses and bought them, took them back home and just said, hey, listen, you know, what? I've really loved the time that we've had while the nanny was away. This has been fantastic. I love the way that we communicate, et cetera, et cetera. And it was just like the things that I thought about before. and I wasn't intentional about them. And but it was just to say, hey, look, I appreciate the things that we're doing and I appreciate you. I love you. And, and it's just those little things sometimes. So like, like we don't have to make these like massive things. It wasn't a birthday. It wasn't a, um, mother's day. It wasn't Valentine's day. It wasn't any of that kind of stuff. It was just a moment that I thought, okay, look, I've got some extra time. I want to do this. It's nice. And, and being able to make and do those little small things that was roses. Maybe it's just thinking about friends. I sent a friend the other day, a WhatsApp, a picture of WhatsApp that I hadn't seen in a while just to say, Hey, listen, I'm thinking about you. I hope you're doing well today. Being intentional and doing things differently, and doing it in the moment, knowing that you can positively impact other people because of positive things that they've also allowed you to experience or feel.
0: So good. All right, we got to jump back to, back to boundaries because we started out there talking about why creating boundaries around the things that are important, you know, are, is part of that intentionality.
1: Yeah, well, part of the boundaries, yes, is being intentional. Like, for instance, I'll give you another example. Uh, One of the things is I could work here in the office until probably 11 o'clock every night. But I know that by 8 o'clock, because things are moving a different time here, like there are not days that I'm not home at 8 o'clock, because that's the time when I know that the family's home and we're doing things together. And now I'm intentional. I'm not keeping the phone. I don't answer the phone. Uh, If you don't get a response from me, it's not because I don't want to talk to you. It's because I'm focused on the boundaries, the family, uh, that time and having quality time uh, together. We may all be reading or we may be talking or we may be doing things, but we're there together, not distracted. So that's a boundary, like a time boundary and making sure that I'm not just continuing to do something that I love doing, which is building this business. Um, There are other things in the morning boundaries for me. I need to start every day. I need and I want to start every day focused on myself. So I'm a big believer in how Elrod's savers. I start every morning that way because it helps me also from a boundaries perspective. It allows me to start because if I focus on myself, then I can be the best version of me, at least starting right? to be the best version of me every single day. Um, And that's something else. I still work on making sure that I'm not overextending. I'm working on saying no more than I say yes to. Uh, just because it's also a, it, it is a function of where our business is growing. And as much as I want to say yes to everything, Robert, and I know you understand what this is about. There's just 20, there are only 24 hours in a day. So, you know, it's part of my boundary setting is saying no more than I say yes, even though my heart says yeah, I really want to do this. I really want to help. But um, there's only 24 hours in a day and priorities is really focusing time and energy around uh, family and, and loved ones.
0: Well, it's too easy to say yes. Actually, it's mm. it's harder to say no, mm, and, yeah. and that's why you need to do it more often.
1: Yep,
0: <laughs> because yep. that proves that a I've created boundaries. I'm intentional about my boundaries, and saying no means I'm going to honor my boundaries. Yep. And and that that level of integrity is is as rare as the people talking about money. I mean, truly, mm. you mm. know. Uh, all right. You've obviously mentioned the wife and kids, and so I want to switch it up just a little bit. What, what was yeah. your favorite date with your wife?
1: Um We've had a chance to do some really cool things. We've been to um, um Portugal together. This was before the kids. We've been to uh, the, um, Myanmar together. We were in Seychelles together. But actually recently, last year, we went on a – just like our boys were both away at camp, and we were here. And we left and we went to Formentera, which is like a little, it's a Balearic Island. And we went there by ourselves just for four days. It was fantastic. And, you know, we were just there together. We went to beaches, we read, we talked, we laughed, uh, and that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun.
0: Nice. So you've obviously mentioned video games, but you also love your work. So, so how important is, is play and fun?
1: I, one of the things I learned when I was in that job, five years fifty eight countries, was when you work really, really hard, because we worked really hard, it was also important to play hard because you had to enjoy yourself. Now, I'm a lot older now, so I don't quite play as hard as I used to, but I do it's it's important to have downtime to like the, my play hard now is to travel with my kids. My boys right now, they love playing basketball. So one of the things we're gonna do is they're going to go to this really cool camp. They're going to be able to do that in the us because that's one of the things that they really want to do and i feel fortunate and blessed that i'm able to provide them with the opportunity to do that we'll be able to spend time with family um, that's going to be really fantastic to uh, to be able to do that and and play we're going to do family vacation in the us and in here that's one of the things i actually have really enjoyed about living in europe for the last 20 some odd years is the whole concept of downtime and vacation right? And my wife, she's European. So she's here from Spain. So it's like, for me, I didn't ever want to stop. Like when I was working for a big company, like I wanted to keep working. She was like, you're on vacation. <laughs> you get five weeks of vacation a year. Cause we had five weeks of vacation a year, which was awesome. So I could actually see my family in the U S more frequently than <laughs> I would have, if I was working in the U S. But that whole concept of spending quality family time and unplugged from the matrix is something that I really appreciate. It's something that took me time to get used to. As I'm in this new entrepreneurial thought process, it like I'm just building a life that I don't really want to ever retire from or unplug from. So it's just a matter of how do I move the hours? In, maybe because I'm an early bird, I wake up early in the morning. I do that, and then afterwards I'm off the off the grid. And now there are people that are part of my team that are able to continue to manage and make sure that. Uh, We're interacting with our investors or the different processes that we've set up that they are being attended to. So hopefully that answers the question.
0: Absolutely. So let's let's talk a little bit about those investors and and the idea of building an audience. We talked about connection and, and the value of hanging out with those connected people. But you're building a business overseas. But I think the majority of your clientele are in the United States. And so how are you making those connections? How are you building that audience and growing the business?
1: Yeah. So, and this is one of the other things like this is about design, right? What what I want to be able to do is to continue to live in Europe because that's what makes the most sense for me and for my family. And I love being able to continue to work with and invest in assets that are based in the United States. It also, for me. Being a U.S. citizen it allows me to continue to stay connected and get the chance to see family and friends. So it's designing the lifestyle. Um, and one of the things, although most of the world has just realized that things like Zoom exist and Skype and WhatsApp and all these kinds of things. I've been doing that for like 10 years. So being able to leverage technology to help to build teams, to be able to verify things that you normally trust. But I think there's someone once said that you should trust and verify or trust, but verify. And so being able to utilize technology have a clear vision in terms of what we want to be able to do and getting the right people on the team it doesn't really matter nowadays where you are because as long as you have a laptop and a phone you can pretty much get connected i mean that's what we're doing today right so Uh, absolutely um, it just it keeps it um you know i think this is the This is one of the best times to be alive because you can leverage technology, live where you want, build teams anywhere. I mean, I have team members that are literally all over the globe and being able to serve our investors, which are you're correct, primarily um, in the in the United States.
0: Yeah, it's so terrific. So we were missionaries from basically 1999 to 2008, living overseas, and we got a VoIP phone And Mm. and so we had a Colorado phone number and people were afraid to call us. I'm like, no, you can call (laughs) us. It's, it doesn't cost you any more. It doesn't cost any any anymore. And, and our family, my dad, my dad and I chatted every week and we started out on Yahoo chat, Mm -hmm. like, you know, so just, just texting chat back and forth. And then of course we got the VoIP phone and we were able to have these hour long phone calls that, that had no additional charges, no, you know, he's just using yeah. the internet for, for a telephone service. But so many, the majority of people had no, like it no, didn't, yeah. it didn't compute for them that they could right. talk to Robert on a Colorado <laughs> phone number and, and not be, not be running up these, these telephone, right? Cause you and I, we grew up, we grew up different grew up yeah, the long right. distance phone, <laughs> the long distance phone fees, long distance phone fees. Like that was just a call from Ohio to Colorado.
1: yeah You, know, exactly.
0: you need that at card, <laughs> And so the technology is really hard for people to get. And I think one of the biggest blessings of the pandemic has been everybody understands now that you can do this. Like that's it's just in fact, it's normalized it to the point of, man, get on a video chat. Let's hey, let's chat. You're in Spain. I'm in Colorado. Colorado. I talk to people in New Zealand and Australia and England and and have a call with Africa next week. Like it's just normal.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's it absolutely is normal. And that's, you know, that is one of the things that has come about is you start realizing, hey, listen, technology here. You can allow you to be anywhere, be anywhere and build and, your business.
0: And for Billy, who speaks five different languages, he's got an audience in in so much larger, <laughs> so much larger places. <laughs> you know, got to give you a pat on the back because I understand how hard language learning is. So I think it's incredible. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, I appreciate that. I've been just fortunate to be in places where I've had to learn the language. Uh, I've made, I got nice base level education and then I lost the fear of making mistakes and I made lots and lots and lots and lots of mistakes.
0: That's, I love, I love. So, one of my best examples for entrepreneurs is sharing the language learning and entrepreneurship are so similar and that was the key right there that piece you just said so good repeat it tell us again
1: yeah not afraid to make mistakes and Mm -hmm. you know and this is coming from a recovering perfectionist but you realize that the only way that you are going to progress in a language that's not your own i.e literally languages or entrepreneurship language and learning that skill set is making mistakes, surrounding yourself with people that know more than you do, i.e. language exchange, meeting people, doing things that are of interest to of you, and then you have to continue to be around them and watch, make mistakes, go back, study, what are the things that you messed up on and, and just work and get better, and eventually you become fluent. Um, mm. Just like a language and in entrepreneurship, there's no difference.
0: It's so powerful, but that is the thing that holds, so many people say they wanna start a business, so many people say, I wanna learn a language, and the thing that holds them back the most is just being willing to step out the stupid door and, and share a sentence, a word and, and have the person look at you like, <laughs> or, or in the great places, it's the person going to tell you that is not what you're trying to say.
1: Right. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> you really mean this. And then you're like, oh yeah, oh, yeah. but it, it really does been make a the difference that man, that, that not afraid to make mistakes is so powerful
1: so powerful huge
0: yeah love that thank you for sharing that yeah yeah absolutely all right billy what what inspires you
1: what inspires me um I, i we've talked about it a couple times earlier today just for me being able to contribute um set a positive example for my children like that's the biggest thing um, that That inspires me at this point because I realize how much they watch and repeat mm-hmm. the things that i 'm doing, so it inspires me to continue to be the best version of myself um, sometimes that puts me in places where i 'm very uncomfortable because maybe i didn 't see the same thing because i 'm living a very different life than my parents lived um, but yeah being setting a positive example for for my sons um, and knowing also someone that um, that my wife and family feel feel proud of. Is, are things that inspire me to be the best version of myself.
0: Wow, oh, so good. All right, Billy, what's the big dream?
1: The big dream is to, is to continue to, to design the life that I never want to retire from. Like, that's the big dream for me um, because that means that we're at a point where we're impacting lives, that I'm spending or investing my time with the people that I love the most and I'm feeling fulfilled. So being able to, yeah, that's that that for me is really the the big thing. Designing a life and being able to live that life that I never want to retire from.
0: Oh, love that. Billy, thank you so much for hanging out. You spent an hour with these young entrepreneurs and you want to leave them with Billy's words of wisdom. What would you share?
1: Yeah, just you know what? Be ready to make so and I'll say just the context is I'm a recovering perfectionist. And someone who was able to achieve things in a successful corporate career and working to do that as well in the entrepreneurial ventures. And there are moments, many, many moments where you will have to make decisions on imperfect information. Don't be afraid to make the decision because when you see that things are falling or rolling off the tracks, make sure that you recognize it and course correct right? There are no perfect decisions. There is no, uh, if you wait for perfection, you will never make a decision. And no, not making a decision is probably the worst decision you can make. So mm-hmm. be it, be it, embrace making decisions on imperfect information. That's the thing I would say.
0: Thank you, Billy. Thank you so much for taking the time today. I appreciate it. what a great conversation. And I learned, I learned a bunch and I hope, I know our audience you know, received a ton of value. So thanks for sharing.
1: Awesome, Robert. Thank you so much for the invitation. Really, really appreciate it.
0: If you enjoyed the show, please like, subscribe, or leave a review. We have a free gift for you at AddValueMindset.com. That's add value mindset.com. We've collected some of the best mindset secrets shared by successful entrepreneurs on our podcast, and we want to give them to you for free. AddValueMindset.com. In our next episode, Emanigate. Started his entrepreneur journey with nothing. He started a business to survive. After nearly losing his life, he realized he wanted more than just work. He wanted to make an impact. He became passionate about helping others. It's up to you to change your identity, to become the person who can fulfill your purpose.